Choose life. Choose a sport. Choose a drop zone. Choose a start time. Choose a fucking big jump plane. Choose turbine engines, speed, unlimited altitude, and endless horizons. Choose height, no low turns, and travel insurance. Choose jump tickets. Choose tiny action cameras. Choose your mates. Choose a rig and matching helmet. Choose swoop shorts and a range of fucking fabrics. Choose 120 vertical speed and wondering who the fuck you are on a Sunday morning. Choose sitting on that couch, watching debriefs, spirit-saving slow-mos, smashing beers after last load. Choose standing on the podium at the end of it all. Choose a win you'll love every time. And the reasons? There are no reasons. Who needs reasons when you fly NZ Aerosports? Of course, I absolutely love the NZ Aerosports business model. I mean, come on. One glance at an Icarus fuck yeah sticker and you know it lines up perfectly with the fucking pilot mentality. But outside their wonderful use of colorful language and a great company vibe, there's a long list of reasons to say NZ Aerosports, fuck yeah. NZ Aerosports blows me away right out of the gate as a canopy manufacturer with a bold offer. They give you 10 jumps on your brand new nylon to decide if you want to keep it, swap it out, or even return it for a refund. I mean, seriously, how incredible is that? That's like getting halfway through a prom and deciding you prefer the slightly racier date that goes down faster. Seriously, they do that. If you're not madly in love with your new canopy after 10 jumps, they'll let you swap it out for another size or model or even get your money back. And the range of canopies they've got? Man, they've got a style canopy to fit every jumper and every situation with models you know and trust. Like the Sapphire 3, the perfect choice for the beginner or intermediate canopy pilot. The Crossfire 3, when you're ready to kick it up that elliptical notch. The JFX 2, if you're looking to up your new swoop game. The Leia as the workhorse and dirt water dirt beast, or the Petra. The Petra cranks out crazy power and is nothing short of a record breaker. But hey, it's not always about speed either. Take the Kraken. Built as a low pack volume canopy specifically with wingsuiting in mind, she gives you all the performance you're looking for with the reliability you need that'll have you itching for that next formation, rodeo, or puffy cloud. So the equipment is top of the line kick-ass stuff as you already know, but how about the team? Well, the customer service gang is there to sort you out whenever you need them. Maddie and Beto are always there to help with Jen holding the reins. They're available for you at sales at nzaerosports.com and they've got a kick-ass live chat tool on the website if you're wanting to hit someone up right away. These are the crew you're going to want to talk to to get those custom orders in. With the stock nylon, once you know what you want, they'll have that shit on a FedEx truck as soon as the credit card machine says approved and get you in the air in no time. For your custom orders, you'll be able to get a time frame for building and shipping when you design it, so get to it. And demos. They've got demos in the U.S. available from their partner Rock Sky Market. The whole U.S. demo fleet is there with Sapphire 3, Crossfire 3, Kraken, JFX2, and Leia canopies in a range of sizes. They also offer student and tandem demos in the U.S. Bottom line, every step of the way, NZ Aerosports is there to get you what you need, and I personally couldn't be happier to be teamed up with them here on Lunatic Fringe. And now, time to get started with Lunatic Fringe Into the Void, brought to you proudly by NZ Aerosports. Fuck yeah! Coming straight from the cockpit, it's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go! Back in the can for another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void, and holy shit, are we taking a way back time machine for this one. I I don't even know where to get started. Uh, let's just jive, dive in. Who the fuck are you, and what do you do? 
Well, um, my name is Sammy Vasilev, um, aka Popoff. Uh, I'm a professional skydiver, uh, cinematographer, photographer, and father, husband, um, all around uh, janitor, drop zone <laughs> owner. You know, you, you name it. All, all that good stuff that uh, keeps the drop zone going. Yeah, man, you're a busy guy. There's no doubt about that. Now, uh, let me see if I've got uh, my memory correct. Did you not do your first skydive in the womb? Uh, you have a very good memory. That is correct. Yes. Your mother was a champion, wasn't she? Yes. She was a 1972 world champion style and accuracy with the Bulgarian national team. And, um, basically, uh, my first uh, 277 jumps were done in her womb. (laughs) (laughs) If that's not a record, it's gotta be damn close. You know, that's what she says, so I'm going to trust her on that one. She kept jumping until she was six months pregnant. So so basically, yeah. you had your D license before you were born. Um, you could say that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Back in the old days, when the D license was 200 was jumps. Was 200 jumps, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's yeah. fantastic, man. That's uh, uh, I, remember, I don't know why that stuck out in my memory, but I've told that story many times that I had a buddy that was a skydiver before he was even born. Uh, so that's that just... That just stuck with me all these years. So now, you said drop zone owner, and I want to get into that for sure, but you and I have known each other for a long time now. Um, We um, became friends and started uh, jumping and working together 25 years ago. 25 years ago, that's right. That's That's a quarter century, my friend. I know, and I know this so specifically because I just hit my 25-year anniversary in skydiving a couple of months back. Which is just insane. And at that time, when I met you, you were uh, jumping in Las Vegas and working in the wind tunnel. But how did you get started in skydiving? Well, um, uh, I after I was born, you know, I uh, grew up on a drop zone. You know, both of my parents were skydivers, uh, you know, mother and a father. Uh, so, um, I grew up on a drop zone, you know, in Eastern Europe, in Bulgaria, and, um, that's all I knew. So every summer we'd be at, uh, uh, at, you know, training, my mother would training and competitions and, uh, I did nothing but have a good time at the drop zone and that's all I wanted to do. I, I knew exactly what I wanted to be when I was five years old Wow! and I was a professional skydiver that was it. Well, so you started out the whole the whole package. You were, I'm assuming, you were a packing weight as an infant, and then you were the packer as a kid. Um, you better believe that, <laughs> <laughs> right? Well, especially yeah. if you've got a mom that was a world champion at the time, I guarantee she had you put to work real soon. Well, that started very early, that's for sure. You know, so uh, uh, you know, uh, it was just an experience, and. Um, I couldn't wait to start jumping. Of course, jumping in Eastern Europe was uh, quite a bit different than it was here. Mm. We had to go through a, an entire winter of training. It was every Wednesday at 7 p.m. at one of the clubs. You know, once a week we would do ground school for three months. Okay. And um, out of the 50 people that signed up for the class, only only about uh, 14 of us jumped. Oh, in wow. The spring. Yeah. And, um, and then we went to the drop zone and of course weather comes in and then of course that was a time when uh when uh the wall fell so you can imagine all the uh, uh trauma and all the riots and everything that was happening in eastern europe sure. so i actually didn't get to jump until november of of that same year which was 1989 okay so i waited almost a year to make my first jump 
And that was in Bulgaria. That was in Bulgaria. That's right. Yeah. Wow. So you started your career there, but now that's it's difficult to rack up jump numbers in in that kind of environment, wasn't it? I mean, it took a while. Oh, it was impossible. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was you know uh, the country wanting to um, hide us, you know, and there was no money, and of course. Uh, uh, Skadavim was government sponsored at the time because we were under the uh, jurisdiction of the uh, army. You know, we were considered an additional uh, squadron, civilian squadron to the army. So once the wall came down, once the communists uh, lost power and, you know, the economy dived, there was just no money for anything. So um, I made about uh, 40 jumps that year uh, and then I came to the United States and, yeah. of course, now, different how, challenges presented. Now, how did the tra- how did uh, moving to the United States come about? Um, I grew up with the American dream. I was uh, pretty much, uh, you know, my mother was uh, became a world champion in uh, 1972 at the 11th World Parachuting Championships, which were held in uh, uh, Tahlequah, Oklahoma. <laughs> and uh, yep. So um, that was, uh, she fell in love with America that year. And pretty much since the day that I was born, I was... Uh, uh, how should I say, um, I was energized with the American dream, you sure. know, and that nothing more I wanted to do than come to America and, you know, the land of opportunity, the hardworking people, the harder you work, the further you go. And, um, and, um, um, that's what I did. Well, you were always, uh, the hardest working, uh, I never considered you from anywhere but the States. You were just an American with a funny accent to me because uh, <laughs> you were everything American. You super hardworking and driven and creative and all this stuff. And, and you kind of made a lot of Americans look fucking lazy. Oh, come on, man. I wasn't intentional. So I just <laughs> did what I had to do. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. No, absolutely. You know, and- it was I, I wanted to fit in because coming from an Eastern European country under communism rule and all that, I just uh, to me it was a shock. Sure. So I knew nothing about the American lifestyle and what what I needed to do. So I figured if I just shut up and work, you know, and do my thing, uh, I, I would probably fit in a little better. And it took me some years to uh, to adjust myself to everything. You know, I didn't have anybody to guide me. Sure, uh, my mom didn't really know much about it. She was just a uh, you know, another hardworking lady trying to feed a family in Chicago. And uh, so I had to figure out a lot of things on my own and adjust accordingly. And sometimes I'd make a mistake, you know, in my communications with uh, some of the folks and including with you sometimes. With sure. Buttheads here and there. Oh, yeah. You know, but it was nothing intentional. It was because the way we communicated was just a little different. Sure. And people took me for an arrogant asshole, you know. Well, and I mean, <laughs> let's let's face it. Scott Evers are such alpha personalities. We're naturally going to assume that you're just being an asshole because you're a skydiver. It clearly it's got to be something going on, and then we figure That's out the, later on, oh, maybe it's not how he meant it. <laughs> that, well, that's exactly what he was, and it took a lot of years, you know, for a lot of folks to figure that out. Sure, sure. Well, now when did but, skydiving kick in hardcore for you in the states? Because I know you guys you moved originally to Chicago, yeah? Nope i um I came to America with a uh, <laughs> with a very interesting story. Okay. Um, I tried to escape Bulgaria before the wall came down in 1988. Okay. And I got caught in the border, and I ended up spending um, uh, some time in a juvenile camp. Oh wow! Uh, and um, and then. Uh, I was supposed to go to the, the military, 
because now I was a traitor of the Communist Party regime and all that stuff. So they punish you by sending you to uh, the military early because military was mandatory. Sure. Well, uh, uh, in between, I always look for ways to escape the country, uh, just like a lot of Eastern Europeans did, because uh, none of us wanted to serve the communists. None of us wanted to be part of that regime. None of, none of us liked it. Right. So an opportunity came through. Uh, we found an article in a newspaper about a, a future farmers of America. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> yeah. So so um, I send my information in, not expecting anything that's going to happen, uh, and um, send in my passport. And about six months later, I got accepted in the program. I was released from the juvenile camp to do a couple of things to prep for the military, and I took that opportunity and split. <laughs> you yep. were in the future Farmers of America. Correct, how I did, was. And I, how did I not know this story? Because I would have given uh, you well, so much shit. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I, I'm going to tell you something that a lot of a lot of you, and including you, Mary, Danny, not all my closest friends know. Mary knew. But uh, these were things that I had to keep very quiet sure. because at that time, um, I was an illegal immigrant. Awesome. In America. Awesome. You know, so, you know, everybody was wanting to compete and go to the nationals and the world meets. And yet I was a prisoner in the United States because I couldn't, I couldn't leave the country. I, wow. I'll leave the country. I'm not coming back. Right. right. You know, so, so, so there was all these little details that I had to keep quiet. But at the same time. I had to work. I had to make sure that I am an American. Sure. And nobody would ever think otherwise. You know? Now, is that why it was Sammy Popoff? Um, no, that was um, that was my um, uh, original name, you know. Okay. Um, but I took I took my stepfather's name to honor him because I grew up with him. Very cool. That's the only reason I changed it. You know? Oh, very cool. Yeah. And um, it was just uh, my, my biological father is someone I haven't seen in – close to uh, 15 years, and before that, another 15 years. So I don't really have any relationship with that man. Okay, fair enough. I just uh, yeah. wondered if that was your way of staying under the radar when you were in the States. No, no I, um, when, I, when, I, when I came to America, I came with that program, Future Farmers of America, and I was three weeks late because there was a group that, that came. I'm sorry, I was three weeks early. Ah, okay. So... Um, I originally entered the country because I had to get out as quick as possible out of Bulgaria. Sure. And then uh, uh, I ended up in Chicago. And then from there, when the time came, I had to go to Washington, D.C. and found the building, found the people. I went in there and pretty much put my hands up and said, I am an immigrant. You know. So we started telling our stories. And of course, at that time, my English was zero i mean I, I don't even know how i was able to explain to these people what i want to do right and i started going back into these skydiving times about my mother and the american dream and stuff like that i was originally supposed to go to michigan uh in a family out there okay but when i told them about Tahlequah, oklahoma one of the kids was stationed was supposed to go to this little town called bixby which is literally 20 miles from Tahlequah. <laughs> And, and they said, hey, do you want to go to Bixby instead instead of Michigan? I'm like, yeah, that's what I want to do. Because awesome. to me, that was very spiritual. It was something that I knew. So they sent me to Bixby, Oklahoma, which was 20 miles from, you know, Tahlequah, where my mother was a world champion, you know. That's so I wild. felt whole natural. Yeah. 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 And um, I ended up spending about uh, two years there. 
I was a cowboy. I rode bulls. I neutered pigs. Uh, I shoveled manure, and I went to high school. Nice. And, and that's where I graduated high school, Bixby, Oklahoma. <laughs> that's wild. That's so cool. Yeah. This is this is a lot of the stuff that I didn't know, and and uh, um, so it's uh, fun. So many years later to hear these stories. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Well, so now, it, it, where did the skydiving come into all this? Because obviously it's something you wanted to do, but skydiving even then is a tough achievement when you're just a kid trying to make it through high school and stuff and mm-hmm. no money and, you know, mm-hmm. got to be tough. Um, well, I started skydiving again uh, in Skytook, Oklahoma, with some of the local clubs out there. But, okay. of course, at the time I was uh, – the training I had in Bulgaria was completely different than the training here. Mm. So I pretty much had to go through another training to make sure that I uh, fit everything that is required and sure. meet the requirements and they wanted to understand my knowledge. So I started skydiving there and then I did a jump with my mom in Skytook in Oklahoma. <laughs> That's epic. That was pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and um, uh, from there, I went to Chicago and I went to college. I went to Northwestern. I graduated uh, with a uh, associate's degree in hotel casino management, you know, and then uh, from there, uh, I just didn't like Chicago, man. It was just like bad. Um, sure. I tried to jump in Chicago at the time, uh, but for some reason, it just uh, didn't work out for me. We were broke. Um, I went to the World Free Fall Convention in 1993. Wow. That was my first experience. Uh, and as much as I wanted to get involved, um, it was just not happening. Sure. You know, and, and then I was like, you know what? I'm in hotel casino management. Where am I going to go? I'm going to go to Vegas, but I've always wanted to be, uh, you know, to be involved in film. And what you don't know is that alongside my skydiving, I've always been a photographer and cinematographer from an age of eight, mm. you know, and I started really, um, uh, going to school for, photography and cinematography in Bulgaria. But when we came here, it didn't work out. Right. So I moved to Vegas to go to school to UNLV. Uh, I signed up for a hotel program, and that's what my mother wanted me to do. But inside, I was there. I was here for the film and cinematography school. Nice, <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, so she, she had no idea that I actually went to school for cinematography. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love it. And um, I drove in. I drove on the 15, and you know when you go over the apex and you see the whole city right there, you know, oh, and you yeah. saw that beautiful view. And, you know, and I drove in, and it was late night. I parked my car right there, and I slept. It was like midnight. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to take care of business tomorrow. Right. And the first thing I did the next morning was I wanted to see where the skydivers were. And the first brochure I picked was Michael Hawks' Skydive Las Vegas. Skydive Las Vegas, yep. But this <laughs> But this was the very beginning of Skydive Las Vegas. That's that's before you even know it. That was when we were still back in the trailer. Yeah. You know, that hangar wasn't built. Yeah. You know? So I'm like, where is where is that? I drove to Boulder City. I walk in there. I'm saying, hi, I'm Sammy. I'm from Bulgaria. I'm a skydiver. You know, I want to, you know, jump. And first thing he says, kid, you know how to pack parachutes? I say, yes, sir. I had never packed a tandem in my life. Oh, no. I've never packed a parachute like that in my life. <laughs> right. Because, again, I come from a different place, different right. equipment. You know? But I was so cocky and so confident because I needed a job. I was like, yes, I um, I can pack this. So I watched him very good <laughs> how to do it. <laughs> and then he goes, your turn. 
So, of course, I messed up a couple of times. He sits down next to me and goes, you've never packed a parachute in your life, have you? I said, no, Michael, I have. I've packed different parachutes. I want to learn how to pack this, and I will be uh, your packer for, for a while. And that's where my skydiving career started. Wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And that was uh, what year? It was in 94. 94. Okay, so it was two years later uh, that I went out and made my first jump at skydive las vegas uh and then shortly and by by that time you were you were working at flyaway weren't you i was yeah we um um so i was working at the drop zone uh but it wasn't enough money so i needed something else and when i heard about the winter i was like you know what this is the perfect place for me to become the best i can be because i can get the training all the training i can get in an environment that is safe that will provide me with everything that I could possibly do. And I was trying to figure out how to do this. Right. So I walked in and I met Gary. And I said, Gary, I'm Sammy. You know, I, uh, I'm a skydiver. I want a job. And he goes, you got a job. And that was that. <laughs> <laughs> so, and he goes, are you legal? Because I have an accent, you know. And he goes, are you legal to work in the United States? I said, yeah, I'm a U.S. citizen. But the reality of the situation was I was, right. I was an illegal immigrant. And my visa had expired because I had stopped school. So you asked me for the paperwork at that time, and in early days of Photoshop, I took my my visa, you know, that was on a piece of paper. I scanned it and I changed the dates on it, and I went in there and said, "Hey, here's your, here's the visa, man. No problem, you know." All right. <laughs> and that's how I got my job there, man. And then we, um, that was before the tunnel opened. Uh, the whole chamber was full of garbage, so we cleaned it out, you know. Uh, we built all the deflectors, you know. We we made sure that, that it's ready to go, and then we opened it in uh, September yep. of '95, yeah. which is when you and I would have met because I was uh, there within the first two weeks of its opening. Correct. Uh, it That's was, what we met. yeah, man, and it was it was uh, the, the the day that I went. It was super slow, and it was Robert Ogle was my instructor, and. Uh-huh. Uh, he had me hooked because I ran across the street in the suit, still in the fucking suit, to get more money so I could come back in and fly again. And he was the one that hooked me with the, uh, you're a natural, you should go jump bullshit line that I'm sure he gave to everybody. Uh, and next yeah. thing you know, I'm spending every dime I've got in the tunnel and then trying to go out and jump. And, of course, that's when you and I met. And I think Mary yep. was already working. And Mary Tortomasi was already working she in was, the tunnel. Yeah. Yep. And it was it was Mary Rob Keith. Yep. Yep. And that was the beginning of a, a pretty wild twenty five years <laughs> for <right>. me anyway. <laughs> yeah. When when you and I became friends, I remember leaving the back door open so you can sneak in the classes. Remember that? Damn right. <laughs> oh would, hell yeah. Yeah, I'll sneak you in every time I could, man. <laughs> yep. Yep. I know. I got to fly a whole lot in that tunnel. There's no doubt. <laughs> Well, and it was funny because in that tunnel, a lot of different things happened. You were already shooting video. You were an established camera flyer at the time. Uh, And I had had a little bit of experience shooting a video with Kevin Love's camera helmet. And mm-hmm. I decided, all right, it's time. I got to, you know, build a system. And I came to you and I'm like, what should I get? Yep. And I still, yep. to this day, I wish I'd have brought it into the studio with me. I still have my Pararaptor helmet, still painted, the plate still on, the uh, rocker switch that you were the one that created. Uh, and for anybody out there, it was the coolest fucking still camera system ever. It was a rocker switch uh, like you would use for a light switch. Um, and you put it on the front of the Pararaptor and you just pushed your lip out 
to click that switch. And you yep. wired it through with uh, a, a telephone plug. That's right. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. It was the best <laughs> system ever. And I still yep. that's the only camera I ever shot video with. Um, the thousands of jumps that I did with that damn thing uh, and all the different cameras that went on that. But that very first one, you helped me set up the whole nine there yards. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. I'm happy to, to do so. You know, I still have mine, too. My original helmet is still here. Yeah, man. Um, oh, I'll be know, buried with that fucking memories, thing. Man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Although it's funny because uh, before the podcast, we were talking about my recovery for the surgery. I can blame that helmet as well as thank it because it's the reason that my neck is fucked. <laughs> you know, we did jump heavy equipment, that's for sure. Oh, my know. God, man. Yeah, we did. I mean, we yeah. started out on the high eight days, you know. I mean, this is when you had to gaff tape everything because you'd get the tape flutter, and, and we were mm. shooting. I was shooting a Canon Elan with a massive That's lens right. on the front. I mean, That's right. the fact that both you and I are sitting up straight is crazy. Yep, yep. <laughs> I mean, it's these these lenses were heavy. The Elan was heavy. I mean, by just the, just the steel setup was about four pounds. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, and, uh, the uh, well, and you had the same experience as I did. The fact that we didn't yeah. rip our heads off all those years jumping that stuff. <laughs> I remember when uh, Michael Hawks tried to institute a rule that you had to wear neck braces and nobody wanted to wear them because we thought we were bulletproof. And here I am mm -hmm. at 52. <laughs> well, you uh, know, this this man was something else, man. A lot uh, of people didn't see his vision, but um, he keeps coming up in a lot of conversations. And he's... Um, you know, he was 20 years ahead of his time, I'll be honest with you. You know, I'll, I'll tell you what, and this will be the uh, – there's going to be a few listeners that will be shocked because there's nobody out there that doesn't know I'm not a fan of Michael Hawks. But yeah. I will say this. He built an incredible drop zone and a money-making machine like I've never seen. I mean, you remember shooting video. Ooh. I was third-string cameraman when I started shooting video out there, and I would forget to cash my paychecks because I was making so much in tips. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, It was insane. you know. And I don't think there's anybody like him or hate him that uh, would disagree that that drop zone was just a machine. Well, not only this, but, you know, he had a vision that was very different at the, at the time. And a lot of people misunderstood him. Uh, you know, I've never had a problem with Michael Hawks. <laughs> never. Ever. You know, we had a couple of, you know, crossings here and there. But I've always respected him for his, his business. If that's what you want to do, that's what I'm going to do. And he treated me very well because of it. Mm. You know, But uh, I've learned... Being being part of that drop zone and then, uh, you know, working with Roger Nelson because after I left Scott of Las Vegas, I went to Scott of Chicago and working with Roger, um, that was, you know, two of the biggest visionaries in the industry, I would say. You oh, know? for sure. Yeah. I mean, and, Nelson. And by... now, go ahead, go ahead. now as a drop zone owner, you know, I often go back to some of the samples that these people set for me and go, no, 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 we can't cut corners on this. You can't do this. You can't do that. And there is a reason for it. Sure. And they were right and we were wrong. We were young and stupid and dumb and with a lot of testosterone in the balls and a strong dick. <laughs> and, you know, we thought that those guys don't know their shit while they knew a lot better than we did. Sure, sure. No, I mean, uh, uh, believe me, there was a lot of ego running around when we were younger. There's no doubt about that. Um, and... 
uh, especially somebody like Roger Nelson that was breaking all the rules in his time. I just had Melissa uh, on uh, just a couple of weeks back uh, and her father having just been put in the Hall of Fame. Uh, So she got to kind of brag on him a little bit, but he was kind of this larger-than-life rock star, cocaine cowboy hero type that, you know, uh, you kind of looked up to that kind of... um, crazy you know attitude towards skydiving um but when you get rid of all that shit the guy had amazing ideas i mean he just he put together i mean what is arguably the biggest best drop zone on the planet pretty much yeah yeah Yeah. and 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 no doubt about it oh yeah. yeah And his his son has gone on to make it an even bigger, even better drop zone. That's right. Yeah, Rook uh, Rook's definitely uh, doing fantastic, yeah. man. I he, mean, uh, he's uh, he's got his father's uh, uh, visions and energy in him. You know, sure. it's definitely uh, uh, definitely a different ball game. Yeah, 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 for sure. Now, jumping back to the tunnel, I I'll never forget this. Um, for anybody that doesn't know, Vegas was the first uh, big public tunnel in the States. There were no iFlies. There was no wall-to-wall air glass tubes, except for the military one, I think. It was Pigeon Fort Forge. Bragg. Fort Bragg, yeah. It was yeah. Pigeon Forge and uh, Vegas. That was it. Um, and uh, Vegas didn't have enough power to do two things. You couldn't free fly, and you couldn't really fly the board, although you guys did great training standing up, but the vertical stuff you couldn't do. So you came up with a brilliant idea um, that now people would laugh at because obviously you got a tunnel with 180 miles an hour of wind, but you hooked up um, the gymnastics harnesses so that you could go in, put this gymnastics rig on, and you could fly vertical on the board. What in the world were you thinking when you came up with that idea? Well, you know, (laughs) (laughs) I didn't have enough money to make seven to ten jumps a day. Right. You know, I wasn't a sponsored athlete at the time, you know, but I wanted to compete, you know, and uh, Patrick was my inspiration. As a matter of fact, to this day, I have Patrick's card right here in my office. Awesome. With his Reebok. You know, he was my idol in skydiving, and sure. I wanted to do nothing but sky surfing. But again, as an illegal immigrant, I was so limited to what I can do. Mm. You know, so I utilized everything that was available in a way that wouldn't be suspicious. And I was like, well, there is a perfect tool here the wind tunnel. If I can't do seven jumps a day, I'm going to train indoors. Yeah. And realizing the limitations of that wind tunnel, I had to do something to overcome those. Sure. You know, so I spent a lot of time sitting, you know, at night drinking beer and doing some drawings. And and then um, at the same time, I was um, – a huge part of my training was gymnastics. Mm. And I was going to this gymnastics gym to uh, uh, basically work on my body position, on how the – Uh, axles work and all that stuff and I was working with that gymnastics harness Hmm. and I look at it and I said if I can connect that gymnastics harness in the wind tunnel and then have a device that lifts me up a little bit which is remember how we used to pull it and connect it on the opposite end yeah man yep then I would be able to do all my vertical stuff and all my flips and I can perfect them I can figure out how to finesse my stuff and I could spin there for 10 minutes sure And it was absolutely safe because I would never hit the wall. Sure, sure. <laughs> you know. Well, and so 
I'm sure you would agree too in that tunnel because um, I mean both you and I flew insane amounts in that tunnel. I can't even think of how many hours you and me and Mary and all this because we would go on those hour long staff flights almost every <laughs> right. damn day. You know, yeah, uh, the yeah. king of the king of the tunnel uh, and That's just right. fly and fly and fly. Um, but because it was such mushy air, we had to get creative and aggressive and like yeah. overpower everything which translated into a lot more um knowledge in the sky than we would have had otherwise that's right yeah we had to we had to know our perimeter very well and then you feel it with the you know with your toes when you're coming out so you had to adjust yourself accordingly so you don't fall out you yeah know? man uh, that's the thing you're trying to explain too because people don't understand in these modern tunnels that in the Vegas and Pigeon Forge tunnel because of the pads that surround the perimeter of the air it's an air column that doesn't go to the wall so you've got right. about 18 to 20 inches of dead air yep. all around that tunnel and you'll fall out and if you're 20 yep. feet up that's a long that's fall oh I can, I can tell you man I, I took one of those oh, right yeah. on my back oh yeah, yeah. it I, hurt I busted my nose in that damn tunnel to this day, I have a, a line right down my nose from the bottom line, and I put my head straight through it. <laughs> you know, I, I I don't know that I ever put my head through, but I'd seen it done a couple of times. And you got to be flying. Right here, buddy. <laughs> you got to be flying pretty damn aggressively to do that. Now, you eventually yeah. you were able to segue the the training in the tunnel and all that stuff into actually competing because you were in the '98 Nationals. Yep. You competed with uh, Vic. Um, not at the Nationals. Oh, that's right. That's right. No, no, no. Who who was flying for you in the Nationals? Yeah, that was Steve Werner. Vic, Vic had died in May of that year. Oh, that's right. So, But you yeah. did do competitions with Vic, though, didn't you? We did not, unfortunately. Oh. Um, you know, um, when um, things kind of took a very interesting path, Hat. You know, I started sky surfing, and of course, my goal was nothing but the X Games. Sure. Uh, so uh, at the time, you know that uh, pretty much the mecca of sky surfing was Paris. Yeah. So we would we would remember when we used to uh, charter a flight, and Jason would fly us on Tuesday because we were off. <laughs> yeah, man. Yep. It was so the perfect storm because he was building yep. hours and we were building jumps. That's right. And then the freaking plane broke. Remember in Paris? Yep. And then we couldn't make it back, and we all had to be at work the next day. Yep, I remember that. <laughs> I remember that. There were a yep. few uh, mishaps. Um, but um, I started training, you know, and my goal was nothing but uh, the uh, the X Games. And my very first teammate was Kevin Love. You know, we uh, we competed in 96 and 97 together. Uh, and uh, Actually, uh, I can't remember who com Mary competed, but it wasn't with you. Did you do a Challenge Cup? Uh, yeah, Mary and I did the Challenge Cup in Paris. Yeah. You guys were there yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And then we yeah. did the Nationals so, in Elsinore in 98. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Uh, so it was with Kevin Love, but Kevin didn't really want to pursue it. He was he had different agendas and sure. different life path, as we all know. Yeah. Uh, not want to go into that direction. Um, but um, um, I had an opportunity to jump with Vic. Yeah. And it was my fourth or fifth actual sky surf jump. But I already had probably, I don't know, maybe a hundred hours in a wind tunnel or something like that. Sure, sure. And we would we would see all the big shots come into the wind tunnel and couldn't fly and you know, I'd be controlling for them and I'd try to tell them and they would kind of blow me off. Hey kid, you don't know anything about this, you know. Right. So um it was me and Mary and we went to a Paris, and um, I'm ready to jump. I mean, I'm like, man, I'm going to jump the board. And I had 100, and that was my 101st jump. <laughs> yeah. 
So, so um, I go to um, Damien, and I go, Damien, I'm Sammy, you know, uh, I, I want to jump the board, you know, and this and that. He goes, kid, how many jumps you got? I said 101. He goes, uh, come back when you have another 500. I said, Damien, I want to show you something, man. You know, just do you have just one minute, please? So he goes, what what you got for me? So I hopped in a VHS tape in there from me and Mary doing two ways and, you know, flying upside down in the wind tunnel. And he was there literally the week prior. Nice. And he goes, who's this? That's me. And who's this? Uh, that's Mary. You want to jump aboard? I'm like, fuck yeah, I do want to jump aboard, man. <laughs> come on. <laughs> so that's how I did my first jump. And then he told Vic and Vic goes, well, uh, I want to come and film you. And that's how we met. To this day, we have a picture of that. Uh, of us after the jump. You know? Wow. So Vic and I, Vic goes, kid, what do you want to do? I said, I don't know. You know, just g- give me something and I'll, I'll do it, you know. So he gives me a routine on my third jump. And we go out and we bust it. He lands and his first words were, if I ever continue my sky surfing career as a cameraman, it will be with you. That's awesome. These were his words. And then he... Uh, him and uh, Troy became um, uh, the X Games champions yeah, in '97. Yep. And uh, that was an incredible competition. And right after that, um, they were done. You yeah. know, Troy didn't want to continue. I believe he had some other, uh, you know, things in life that he wanted to do. I think he was getting a little tired of all the competition. And sure, well, uh, and Hollywood time, was calling also him. Also, was the yeah the uh, the MTV. The show started kicking in and, yeah. you know, he, so he, he had a different direction planned for himself. And um, But funny thing happened, right at that time, Jason Palmer, the pilot that used to fly us to, uh, uh, to Paris, comes up to me after work at Skydive Las Vegas and goes, Hey, Sammy, I keep hearing you always want to get sponsored. I think I found a sponsor for you, corporate sponsor. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Come on, man. He goes, no, no, I'm pretty serious, man. You know, I fly, I flew privately these two guys. They own this company called the Fisher Space Band. And, and, they're, and they're looking to sponsor an athlete. And I think you're the perfect guy for them. I, I started laughing. I'm like, Jason, come on, dude. Who's going to sponsor me? You know, I'm, I, I never told him that I'm an illegal immigrant. Right. But at the same time, I'm going, fuck yeah, what an opportunity. <laughs> right. That same day. We go to Fisher Pen, which is in Boulder City. Yep. I meet with the guys and they go, yeah, man, we want to sponsor you. Just let me know how much it's going to cost, you know, all that stuff, you know, just uh, do it right. And we want to do this campaign with all you. And that was right after Vic and Troy had become champions. For sure. And the team split. Well, I made a phone call. I said, hey, Vic. He was in Paris and I was in Vegas. And I was like, hey, dude, uh, you need to come to Vegas. He's like, why? I said, dude, just hop in the car right now. <laughs> Come to Vegas. I got something for you. And he goes, dude, you're not going to waste my time, are you? I said, believe me, man. Hop in the car. Come on over. I got something for you. Take a suit with you. <laughs> so he, four and a half hours later, he's in Vegas. I didn't tell him anything. We went had a dinner that night, but I had scheduled another appointment so that because they wanted to meet the team, right. not just me, but the team. The next morning, so we go in there, and he's antsy. He's like, dude, what the fuck's going on? You know, what are you doing, man? What's happening here? He's, he couldn't believe it. So we walk in there, and we pulled in a half a million dollar sponsorship. I mean, come on. That's amazing. I'm telling you, man. Yeah. I mean, it was jumps were covered. Canopies were covered. Travel was covered. We had a salary, man. Five grand a month they were paying us, to, you know, <laughs> to, to – and I, I couldn't believe it. So we walk out of the meeting, and um, – Vic goes, kid, 
I am the champion, and you're getting the sponsorship. How does that work? <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, dude, that's awesome. Yeah. But um, I had to finish my obligations to Scott of Las Vegas. So um, I, that was in August uh, of uh, uh, 97. So we really didn't start anything until uh, January 1st, 98. Mm. And that's when we announced that we want to compete. And because of VIX points, uh, we were on the X Games roster for that year. And we were ranked fifth, basically. Uh, so we started heavy training seven, you know, five days a week, uh, seven jumps a day, uh, pretty serious training on a daily basis, mm. you know. And uh, but we had a couple of days that we wanted to take off Saturday and Sunday just for ourselves. Sure. Well, I would go back to Vegas and I would be working at Michael's place as a cameraman. I would be making a killing. You know. Yeah. That. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I was like, you know, what? I can't pass that up. You know, it's an extra money for me. I'll, I'll, I'll do it. And I said, hey, Vic, you want to join, you know, the team and we can do Saturday, Sunday there. We can train in Paris the rest of the week. Uh, and you can make some extra money. Your family's in Vegas, you know. And uh, and then he was like, yeah, sure. So we did that for about a month and a half. And then uh, right before his accident. Um, and um, then we had that Wheelie guy. Remember Wheelie? Oh, yeah. Dude, yeah, that was married to, I uh, forgot her name. Ur- not Ursula. Uh, old lady. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, he uh, one day says, I got a birthday tomorrow, you know. But he lied. He didn't. Hmm. So he kind of wanted to draw some attention to himself. Sure. And um, the funny thing is, we uh, it was a Saturday evening, May 9th. And so we sit at the drop zone. And he's telling us we have a birthday and this and that. And Vic and I had scheduled to go to the wind tunnel to test the wingsuit that I built hmm. that night. And, of course, Gary was like, yeah, Sammy, come on in. So we tied me to a, to the wall on the harness and all that stuff. But... Before we went there, Vic and I were thinking, hey, man, what are we going to do to this guy for a birthday party? You know, because the idea was to build an eight-way. One camera is going to be from the top, one from the bottom shooting the eight-way. And we went to get a big black dildo yep. to hit Will in the head with it. Yep. You know? Yep. <laughs> so Vic and I went, got the dildo, went to the wind tunnel, you know, did our uh, testing. And we, we spent about an hour and a half there testing the wingsuit. And right inside the chamber... You know, Vic goes, you know, Sammy, I want to tell you something, man. Because, uh, you know, this is in the dawn of wingsuiting. I mean, I had nobody to show me. I built that wingsuit from scratch, you know. He goes, if it's not butter, don't do it. Hmm. Hmm. And it kind of hit me hard. I was like, man, why are you saying this? He goes, well, Rob Harris told me that and it wasn't butter for him. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. man. And, and then the very next morning, you know, we had his accident. I got, I was supposed to be the cameraman on the bottom. He was supposed to be in the top, but another tandem bought a video. And simply because I was in rotation earlier, I exited before he did. Yeah. Uh, with the tandem, I filmed the whole thing. I watched it. It was horrible, you know, watching it. And uh, Yeah, man. I mean, I'll, I'll never forget that because I got a telephone call probably, I don't know, 45 minutes after it had happened. Uh, and everybody yeah. was devastated because Vic was just such yeah. a—he was just a big bear and a sweetheart of a guy, you know. And just an incredible guy, man. Yeah, you know, he was. He, um, which was yep. just fucking devastating to everybody. It was absolutely brutal. Yes, he was. I mean, it, it, it's um, 
you know, I, I was the first one to uh, to land next to him and, you know, I held him until pretty much his last sure. breath, you know. And, uh, you know. We've, you know, I, I'll tell you what, man, it's it's been uh... – We've both seen a whole lot of loss over the last 25 years, and I, I don't know about you, but it never gets any easier for me. Uh, you th- no, it, it, it doesn't. You get used to it. You get a little numbed, I guess, here and there. Yeah, know, but there's but those ones. Uh, I mean, you think back about somebody like Vic, or, of course, we just recently lost Kevin, who you and I were both very close friends with at, uh, at one point or another in, in our lives. And, and I think we both probably yes. called him best friend at one time or another. And uh, um, oh, Well, we lived together, man, for yeah, two man. years. And it's, it's still... It, it it's this bitter thing. It just uh, and it grabs you in the in the strangest ways because you're right. We do get numb to it to some degree, but then the weirdest things will set it off, and you'll just go back into this deep melancholy. I mean, I know I do. You know, Dean. Uh, I, I remember the good parts. We all we all gonna go there oh, one sure. day. You know, it's just the way it goes. You know, sooner or later, it just sure. happens. You know. So having having had these people part of our lives is what keeps uh, keeps me smiling and keeps me going and I mean you know being able to uh, stay motivated when it you know? when it all boiled down to it I mean I only rem- every time I think back at Kevin I don't think about uh, how he left us I think about him opening a can of Mountain Dew in freefall or trying to hang off a rope behind the back of a Cessna that's the shit that I remember yeah. you know or when he got the job as the pirate yeah. and he's jumping off the the pirate ship at Treasure Island in Vegas. Vegas. That's the stuff you remember, yeah. you know, uh, which, That's you know, right. which makes it very joyful, but it's still, I mean, it, it, it gets very bittersweet at times, but, uh, um, I know that Vic right. for me was one of the very first people that I knew, even though he and I were not particularly close. Um, you guys were super close. Um, but, uh, mm-hmm. he was one of the first people that I knew well, uh, that passed away in the sport. So it sticks out in my memory and always will. It always will. And especially because it was such bizarre circumstances and the lawsuit and all the shit that happened afterwards and how ugly it got just makes it stand out, right? You know, that was, I'll tell you what, I haven't told that anybody. You're the first person to ever hear this. But when the family filed the lawsuit, you know, and they sued everybody on the plane and including Mm. me, you know, and and, um, at the time I was an illegal Mm. immigrant. You know, so the first thing I'm thinking is, oh, boy, this this shit's getting sure. real. If I get deported, I'm going to prison because the Communist Party had a 25 year sentence on my head for being in zero. You know, so I was petrified, dude. So I started really uh, at that time kind of really being careful with what I do, how I do it. So I don't draw extra attention to sure. myself, you know, um, but, um, you know. It was really scary, sure. and it was that lawsuit was absolutely unneeded. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, I understand their motivations, but you know, there was um, it, it was just uh, it went on for four years, man, and we all spent a lot of money yeah. on it. You know, well, and it was heartbreaking because everybody well, knew, and and I've talked about that lawsuit on the podcast before uh, because I've had uh, uh, Troy on. Uh, he was on a while back, and mm-hmm. and uh, he and I talked about that as well, and the. The poor family just got aimed in the wrong direction, um, and they were yes. horrified and upset that their their son was gone, and and uh, nobody wanted to face the fact that mistakes were made and that responsibility needed to be taken. Right. And and who wants to hear yeah. when you've got a son that's dead, 
he signed a waiver and he took responsibility. Nobody wants to hear that, you know. No, no. And they just no. got steered in the wrong direction and unfortunately became this horrible, bitter lawsuit that we absolutely had to win. Skydiving had to win that yeah. lawsuit or modern right. skydiving as we know it would not be, it wouldn't exist. That's correct. Yeah, that that's correct. It was it was a it was a key turning point in skydiving oh, yeah. for sure, as far as the legality goes for it. Um, but I was petrified every time I walked in that courtroom. You know, uh, I mean, it was, oh my god, what's what's next? You know, are we all gonna get you know, freaking sued for this thing? Are we gonna get guilty for this stuff? What happens afterwards? Right. You know, and uh, in my particular case, I was like, oh my god, I I I, I was already imagining, you know where i was going and what was happening and it was it was a tough one i'll tell you yeah well yeah. it was just such a weird time for everybody i mean uh it, the drop zone really was up in the air because the lawsuit and and the people that were working there were all up in the air and i mean we all kind of ended up taking different directions from that time forward i mean that was sure. my first my sure. real gut check in the sport was all right am i really a skydiver because by this time i'm shooting video and this guy's the world champion camera fly and he just died at the drop zone that I jump at every day. Do I really want to do this? And so that was kind of my, all right, fuck, I guess I'm a skydiver because here I am going back to the drop zone. So that was a, a yeah. pivotal moment for me as well. Um, I wouldn't say, I knew for a fact that I wouldn't change my oh, mind. Oh, you were in. I, I knew that, you know, it was, I, I'm in for sure, life, sure. you know. Uh, and and um, that's I mean, that's something I've already done for a majority of my life, you know. And to me, it was no no, no turning sure. back. I, I just had to figure out, you know, what is it that I'm going to do and what choices am I going to make to make sure that I don't make the mistakes that were sure. made, you know. you know, and, it, and that was a decision factor for what equipment am I going to use. Um, I never use used equipment. I never buy used equipment. I buy brand new mine. I'm the first one to yep. use it. Uh, you know, stuff like that, you know, just, uh, uh, that year for me was devastating because it was the same year that Patrick went mm. as well. And, and, uh, very few people know that, uh, again, this is probably the first time this has ever been told anywhere, but Patrick used to come to Vegas to test his wingsuit. That's awesome. And he was, he was, he was spending a lot of time at Skydive Las Vegas because he was a tandem factory. So he wanted to stay away from praying sure, ice sure. so that nobody could steal his ideas. So he would come on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And, of course, we had some fun jumper base at the time that was coming on the weekends. But he would never be – he would never come on mm. the weekends. He would fly in with his buddies, do his testing, and then, you know, move away. But that's where he did a lot of his testing. Little that he knew, you know, that he had somebody that was watching very careful. <laughs> so, so, you know – Little that he knew that I was watching very carefully. And uh, I would always ask him because we were, you know, meeting my idol was absolutely incredible. And he would, you know, I met him years before uh, the wingsuit and I'll talk to him about sky surfing. And I kid you not, I'm going to reach over right here is the card. There it is. It stays right <laughs> on my awesome. desk. Awesome. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And uh, uh, so little that he knew. Uh, that I wanted to do this so badly. And I asked him, I said, hey, Patrick, when am I going to jump this wingsuit? He goes, hey, kid, not yet, man, one of these days. So um, he went to do the Grand Canyon uh, 
shoot with uh, Charles Boons, and then Charles got hurt. And that was in, in March of uh, 2000 and, um, yeah. I was in March of 2000, of 1998, uh, and then on April 19th, he uh, sure. had his accident. Uh, so that was a devastating year for me, and that's kind of, I had already started building the wingsuit. And um, Danny Kuhn took the photos. DK, uh, <laughs> building the wingsuit. Yeah, I mean, you kind of you kind of hit yeah. on all the different stuff because you did sky surfing, you did the wingsuit stuff, and then you transitioned into what I'm sure a lot of my listeners know, which is uh, skydive TV. How the hell did skydive sure. TV come about? Because I had no idea what was going on, and then one day I'm like, "That's fucking Sammy. What what is this? Holy shit!" <laughs> Uh, well, in the early stages of digital technology, I, you know me, Dean, I've always been a techie guy, you know, trying to, you know, explore opportunities with digital technology and stuff like that. So even years before we started Skydive TV, in the early 2000s, um, when we started watching videos on, on the internet, was cool. So I always wanted to sell my photos hmm. when I go to the boogies. So to me, that was um, kind of the beginning of Skydive TV. And I started by selling photos online. So I would go to, for example, the Quincy, uh, and then I would shoot a roll. I would run to the local lab, develop it. And then I, at, and that was the beginning ages of when they were scanning the photos on, sure. on CDs. So I would build a huge, uh, like, uh, a cardboard with photos and I would put them behind my shield on my car. I would crack the window and leave envelopes on the outside and each photo was numbered. So if they wanted to buy a photo, they would write the number, what size they wanted, put the money in there and slip the, slip the envelope into my car. But at the same time, I was also building websites so I sure. could sell my photos online. Well, everybody wants a video. So I started going, how are we gonna sell the videos as well? Cause that's, that's an avenue that that something could work out. So I started experimenting at the time, and then I started shooting some of the, you know, World Free Fall Convention videos and editing them and selling CDs and stuff like that. But it really, that idea didn't really continue until I went to Bulgaria. You know, that's when we, I started Skydive Bulgaria, yep. my first drop zone. That's a story <laughs> of its own, you know. Uh, but I, I met my wife there, you know, and she's a, a pretty high-end journalist in Bulgaria. Um, and um, we, uh, we started the drop zone, started experimenting with social media, you know, videos and this and that. But again, we were like, how are we going to be able to produce something that would, you know, that would really sure. portray the sport? And the only way to do that would be if we work with either USPA, uh, FAI or some of the, right. the event owners, you know. But we didn't want to do a boogie video, sure. another music video. You know, yeah. for us that was useless. You know, there's plenty of those on YouTube. It's not the way to go. So we started experimenting, but again we kind of hit a snag because the technology wasn't there. It was too cumbersome. You know, it just didn't allow for uh, sure. what we wanted to do. And it didn't matter how efficient and how fast we were, we just couldn't deliver. And the speeds of the internet sure. were not fast enough. I mean, it was just we could have somebody watch a video and if it's one person they can watch it perfectly but if it's 10 people drawing from the same sure. file it was stuttering so the people wouldn't be able to see it well uh 
my wife got pregnant and um, we ended up coming to Chicago to uh, do the marketing and advertising the, sure. you know, for CSC. And we had, as you remember, we were working sure. out of the house at the time. And um, I'm like, you know what, honey? I love skydiving. You're a journalist. You know, so I went, bought the domain name, started setting up, and I kind of surprised said, hey, this is what we want to do, Skydive sure. TV, we want to do news. And we started shooting Skydive TV out of the living room in my mother's house. Awesome. <laughs> in awesome. Chicago. Yeah. You remember, remember Val, the, the blonde? Uh, oh, yeah. CSC? Yeah. All right. So she was our first host, you know, and that's how it started. And it started in April. April 15th of 2010 was our first broadcast. And then we figured, hey, we can do this. So we reached out to USPA and we said, listen, guys, we don't want anything. We just want to prove to you that we can cover the Nationals that year. And the Nationals was a scout of Chicago. You know, so it was weird because here I am, you know, the marketing director for CSC going to Scott right. Chicago to cover the Nationals, you know, with Scott TV. So I talked to Doug. I said, hey, this is what's going on. So we were pretty professional about it. You know, we put a, you know, pretty nice wall in between and it all went very, very well. But that was the first time that we realized that, oh, that's possible because of the way we were doing the things and the sure. technology evolved and all that. And by the time we did our first broadcast at the Nationals, we crashed the servers because we had over a million viewers and the servers right. were not set up for it. Which yeah, is awesome. it was just insane. So we were like, oh my God, this is crazy. You know, how do we do this? And it became an ever evolving sure. project, which ended up, uh, we didn't realize it, but it's a costly project <laughs> too. You know, it it, it, it it was, you know, everybody sees us with a small camera and this and that. And, oh, my God, you're doing this out of the bottom, you know, the of your heart. But the amount of money that we put into Skydive TV is sure. sub significant. And then it evolved to what it is. And, of course, uh, uh, it takes uh, right now with a bit of a, how should I say, a restructuring, <laughs> uh, finding sure. a new direction. Um, you know, I'm busy with the drop zone, busier than ever, and we just don't have enough people to work. And then when COVID hit, things kind of changed oh, a little for bit. Oh, sure. For well, I mean, and, uh, let's face it: the the whole uh, yeah. uh, entertainment industry, uh, especially when it comes to stuff like skydiving, has taken all kinds of different directions. Because I mean, when a guy like me can mm -hmm. set up my first studio in my spare toilet and have world champions, you know, I mean, <laughs> I've bragged about this many times on the show that I got Craig Gerard to come sit in a toilet and drink and talk about skydiving with me. Um, it's fucking amazing, you know, and, and mm -hmm. of course now you and I are That's talking right. via Skype. And so I've been able to talk to anybody that I have known over the past 25 years. It's instant access and it just cost me what it took to build the studio. You know, and it's uh, it's the most basic right. form because it's audio only. But when you're competing with that kind of stuff, it's pretty difficult to get people's attentions. For me, it's a little bit easier because people just start the podcast on their drive to the drop zone and they don't have to watch and they're not they just listen, you know. Uh, but for you guys, it's so much more intensive yeah. with equipment and time and energy. And I mean, oh, my God. Well, let's put it this way, you know, uh, in 2016, we mm. did 14 events. That's crazy busy. Okay. So we would have, in order for us to pull an event flawlessly, we would start the pre-production about 45 days prior to Jeez. the first day of the event. 
to get all the graphics done. You know, my wife, Eva, that's Skydive TV is pretty much her, you know, her brainchild. You know, she does all that stuff and she works, I mean, night and day to get these things done. And these are things behind sure. the scenes that nobody sees. But we start, you know, 45 days prior to get things done. And we have a team in the U.S. and we have a team in Bulgaria. We have a post-production facility in Bulgaria mm. that does the editing, you know. So, so it's a global sure. uh, endeavor, you know. And we have to set everything up before. So when we start traveling, we travel with 14 to 16 to 18 <sighs> Pelican cases, you know, of equipment, uh, you know, and that's nothing but cameras. So I stopped taking my skydiving equipment because I wasn't <laughs> jumping. Right. Yeah, 14, 18 Pelican cases, and that's a hassle of its own. And then we have to be at the uh, check-in station at least four hours prior because they want to rip the cases apart for batteries and stuff like that. I mean, it was a just a logistical travel. It was a nightmare. We spent mm. tens of thousands of dollars on plane tickets because of all the extra equipment that we had to carry, you know. Oh, I bet. And, and uh, we get to the drop zone. And I'll tell you what, we would be doing 20, 22-hour days every day for 30 days, man. And that was just brutal, man. Yeah. I mean, it was brutal, man. In the heat, in the sun. Uh, I mean, my ears would be burning. Uh, it, it was just a, an incredible endeavor. And we pulled it off. Well, but and on top of everything, you're not home. You're you're traveling to do all this, so your comfort level zero, uh, and you've done it for a long time now. So no wonder uh, running a drop zone for you is is more restful. <laughs> well, you know, I, I've always wanted to be a drop zone owner. I loved it. I loved running skydive Bulgaria. That was quite an interesting experience. Uh, now, uh, when we came back here, um, uh, we started skydive Ferocity and. I love it, man. This is this is really what I want to do. Uh, it's Which not is fantastic. And uh, uh, it's time consuming. I love it. I start I start school by the way on the twenty third. I'm going to get my uh, AMP. Awesome. Uh, so I'm awesome. Work on my own airplanes and all that good stuff. And um, but it's uh, it's what I want to do, man. We are family drop zone. The kids are there. They're growing up in an environment that is healthy. Uh, they don't have the iPads and the iPhones in front of them. They're running free, man, you know? Sure. And um, we have a very nice um, group of people that, that we've graduated. And since we've opened, we've graduated about uh, well, 45 students or so, which is awesome. uh, which is decent amount of students, you know? And um, every, every day the business is growing and growing and growing. And um, well, I just love so it. So as – as we uh, uh, as we wrap things up, I want you to tell everybody how they find out about the drop zone. Where can they go online? How do they find out about how to book a jump? If they're an up jumper, what do they need to do? Tell them all about how to find you guys. Well, uh, thanks for the opportunity, Dean. Uh, just go and type in Skydive uh, Ferocity, uh, LasVegas.com or SkydiveFerocity.com, and all the information is online. Uh, we do reservations only for tandems. Uh, we don't take walk-ins. We are a low-volume drop zone when it comes to tandems. Uh, but, of course, we also charge $125 more than our competitors do. And um, and we're still fully booked, <laughs> which is amazing. You yeah. can't beat that, man. Now, where are you guys operating out of? We uh, we operate out of the Valley of Fire, Overton Airport. We okay. jump directly over the Valley of Fire and Lake Mead, which is absolutely Stunning. The views are incredible. You can see the Grand Canyon, the Virgin River, the lake, 
Valley of Fire. You know, Vegas is uh, right there on the side. Uh, you got to come and check it out yourself, man. Hell yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, myself and, and the new wife will be coming uh, uh, to Vegas uh, mid next year. Well, there we go. Perfect. You know, I, I'd love to do a jump with you, my friend. Wanna it's been a long flip? damn time, man. That's right. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll tell you what, Sammy, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to sit down and do this catch-up, but this is not the only one. We're going to have to do this again because I think we only scratched the surface <laughs> on the stories that you and I have to tell. I think so, too, but I appreciate you uh, putting me on your uh, podcast, man. Uh, you're awesome, dude. Keep doing what you're doing. I love oh. your stuff. I recently discovered your, your podcast, by the way. And I've heard some of the stories, and I'm like, oh, my God. You were <laughs> there for them. <laughs> yep, that's right. Yep. But, um, so those are the those are the ones we got to talk all over. And, and again, for anybody that's listening, uh, Skydive TV and Skydive Ferocity, that's all, as I know him, Sammy Popov. Uh, you got to check both of them out. If you haven't seen Skydive TV, you're missing something. And now you know if you're in the Vegas area, you've got a new drop zone and a great place to go jump. That's right, man. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Dino. We've got to put you on Skydive TV and come visit us at Skydive Curiosity. Perfect, man. Sammy, much love. Much love, buddy. All right, Take Dino. care, brother. Take See care. All right, there you go. Another episode of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void in the Can. Brought to you, as always, by Fuck Yeah. That's right. Let's hear it. And Zero Sports and Icarus. Also brought to you by Pussfoot.com. Pussfoot.com, the Extreme Sports Collective. Brought to you by Summit Parachute Systems. Jarrett Martin, Badass Pilot Rigs, Badass Rigging Courses. And then there's me, as always, the fucking pilot, fuckingpilot.net theprincesspilot.com both go to the same places you can find the links to all the podcasts as well as both of the books although I've discovered this podcast is available pretty much wherever the fuck you get your podcast anyway have a good one we'll see you next time